This is the Horse Radio Network. This is Episode 79 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. And Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. Today, we have two ladies whose passion drives them to horses constantly. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen. Hello, and Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. It is just that, just that. I was looking back on our 2016. Holy moly, we had a lot of fun in 2016, Jen. Quite a year. Now, how long Quite. how long will it be till you forget to forget to write two thousand forget to I know. Yeah. <laughs> I've been practicing. Here, here's the, here's one thing, you get old enough. I started putting 2017. I actually made, uh, I, he's opened it now so I can give this away, but I actually made one of those little shutterfly books for my dad, you oh. know, the past year and uh-huh. photos and highlights and stuff. You know, it, you get to a certain, you know, gift giving era. You, you, can, yeah, you only need so many socks and ties. Yeah, exactly. And so um, I was so practiced, Jen, you'd be proud of me that I actually put on the cover of the book, uh, like a year in review, 2017. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> <whoops>. <laughs> I actually had to go in, cancel the order and, and redo it. Can you believe? Oh my gosh. Good thing you yeah. caught that. That would have well, been really I know. Funny. Like, yeah, I know. That's, yeah, not too funny. He would he would have let, you know, all of 2017, I'd have to hear about it. Like, what are you, clairvoyant or what? No. Yeah, wouldn't yeah. that be handy? It's like, this is what's <laughs> going to happen in 2017. Dun, dun, dun. Exactly. Dun, dun, dun. And how did you get those photos? Yeah, no, I put little, um, put little um, post, Facebook posts and think, oh, quotes neat. and little things that people had said. Yeah, I love you guys, you listeners, you people who are posting on Facebook and people who listen in. Jen, our numbers this this last year for 2016 have grown through the roof. And I, I want to look back on 2016 now, even though it's first day of January. 2017 and say thank you for everybody who is they must be out there sharing it with friends and telling people about the horse radio network and and horsemanship radio because we are up about 30 percent over last year and um, i think it's kind of cool because um thanks in part to you doing this podcast the message is really starting to it's it's growing organically but it's it's like the the podcast is the fertilizer. Aww. It's really caused it to bloom so much more robust. Yeah, thanks. That's farm jokes, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. But, it, but it's still very organic. Yeah. It's not like you're out there. It's not, it's not the same kind of growth you get when you do um, like a ads on the Super Bowl. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's a very different thing, and that's the that's the kind of healthy growth that concepts like this and concepts in the horse industry should have. I love it. It's an open book. The horse industry should be an open book. And that's not traditional for Mm -hmm. anybody who's, you know, under 40. Um, It is it that is not something that's happened over the centuries. Um, Horse trainers, horsemen have always been a fairly closed group. And it not necessarily because they are keeping it all tight to the vest, although I would say trainers who make their living at it, (laughs) um, you know, felt that they, they had to do that. But I think it's even like farriers and 
stay together and vets kind of stayed together. And there wasn't a lot of crossing over. And I think Horse Radio Network has done a great job for horses for that. And um, and I'm particularly proud of Horsemanship Radio and all the wonderful guests that we've had that openly share. I mean, I just say, would you be on? And they say, let's go. And I so I appreciate all those people who have given of their time, too, for these mm-hmm. interviews. But without listeners, I guess, you know, we'd, we'd be talking to ourselves. Yeah, without listeners, on- we'd be talking to ourselves. And it's so cool now because I'm seeing on the Facebook the posts that pop up that that mention one of Monty's techniques or yeah. one of his um, uh, research projects. And then you'll see lots of replies coming through going, oh, yeah, I'd heard about that. Somebody else was talking about that. I'm going to try that next year or I just joined up. And it's so cool to watch how it's the, the, the roots. I'll use that farmer thing again. The roots <laughs> have really become very broad. You know, you had that tap root that just for years and years, you keep pushing that tap root down, pushing the tap root down and getting a really good foundation and getting the science behind it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And now right. that science right now. is really finally starting to blossom. And it's just so cool to watch it. And for me, too, because I'm I'm finding it is finally starting to sink in. It's like, oh, I can use that. I can really find uses for it. And it's much more organic for me to use it. Versus going, okay, I need to watch a video and learn how to do X, Y, or Z. Right. Yeah. It it isn't a how-to so much. And and that is an interesting curve that a lot of people who get into horses, maybe even later in life, uh, take that curve. They kind of think... Don't make me think, just tell me how to. Like my horse won't go on the trailer, just tell me tell me how to. Yes, tell me what but to do in they, step three steps, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And it used to be, if you look at old, uh, cl- early clinicians, I don't want to say old clinicians, but old time DVD, or I guess it'd be VHS, but early clinicians, they really relied on a how-to. Like they they told people, you're level this, and then you're level that, and then, you know, like mm-hmm. there's a stage yeah. step to it, and don't, don't skip any steps. Don't you know? skip any steps. <laughs> No, no, no. Um, but then, then you know what came around was, no, no. If you don't understand on the moment, on the day, your horse and you, mano y mano, <laughs> uh, you know, if you don't understand what they're thinking and they're not, they're not jiving with you, then you're stuck. There's no how-to in that. There's no flip, flip, flip to the book. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, it's yeah. too late. You almost have, you're preparing yourself for that day when you need to understand, step back, think, smile relax, breathe out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this goes back to, here's, I'll say an old name that very few people can even remember, Don Dodge, who's, who's icon in, in my growing up, would say, step back, smoke a cigarette and think about it. <laughs> that is old school. Yes. <laughs> See what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, it, we lost a little bit of that along the way when people got into the how to, but I think they now see the value in, in it. it so here's my point too. I, I want to say that I am appreciative of, of those who have paid it forward, you know, over the years in the last 15, 20 years, dad being at the top of my list anyway, who was an open book and said, no, you know, we really need to share a better way because this has just gone too far uh, with, um, you know, uh, discipline, let's call it, uh, you know, stop mm-hmm. beating on horses. It isn't necessary. In fact, it's not even effective. So let's just stop that. And then, then the peeling of that onion and 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 paying it forward to those people who would come back to you and say, 
you know, what I was able to achieve in this discipline that you're not even related to. And for my 2016 pay it forward, um, even reaching back to 2015, it's, it's horse radio network. I I'm happy, you know, we've been happy as a labor of love to, to give this over. And then we were able to pay it forward like Jamie Jennings going to the gentling wild horse course when she first, uh, came to one of the events and then came to learn, you know, she would say, I think if she was on here right now, that she had no idea that she was going to completely change, you know, her mindset, I guess. I don't, she's always loved horses. So it's not, it's not a change in really her heart. It was more in a change of how you approach, mm-hmm. um, probably felt it was more effective and all these things that just opened up a world to her. And, and she's told me that, so I think I can share that. But to me, that's paying it forward. And, and now she's paying it forward to people by, you know, her circle is just so influential and, and that age group and all that. So it's really exciting. It's really exciting, Jen, for all of this to be happening. That's it. And what is there, is there a particular moment, something you learned, someone you came across that mm. is that you're going to look back at the end of 2018 and go, wow, that happened in 2017 and it was memorable. I know oh, that's putting you on the spot. Well, you mean, t- do you mean something that happened in 2016? Oh, yes, I'm, I'm ahead, okay. you're ahead of myself. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> See, I'm doing it too. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in 2016, man, we had so many kind of a wonderful year. light bulbs. Yeah, we had so many light bulb moments uh, on air, and then, and then using them too. I I think one of the most gratifying areas of horsemanship that we've been able to really affect, like it, it took us by surprise, is the polo and how strong like Nick Roldan and the the uh, Brook has some global ambassadors, and even dressage. Um, I mean, Nick Roldan, uh, Cambiasso, uh, Gracida, they just completely flipped a switch and said, we're not starting our horses the old-fashioned way oh, anymore. Wow. That's so We're cool. actually going to. Yeah. And then to have um, Charlotte Dujardin, who's just, you know, on top of everything in dressage with lots of breakthrough. And Carl Hester, of course, her mentor, too. Uh, Carl Hester saying that join-up is what they use to start the horses with. Oh, my gosh. That just – it's so affirming. And those, I think, were breakthrough affirmations. You know, it's mm-hmm. nice to get yeah. – accolades and and people patting you on the head and saying, yeah, that's a nicer way. But when these people at the top of their game say, no, 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 this is what we use and you should too. Oh, well, you know, okay, right. turn off the lights. We're done. We're, yeah. <laughs> Drop the mic. Yeah. Drop the mic. Yeah. <laughs> and that circles back around to what we started with in that um, the horse culture in America and the horse world, the industry has continued to segment itself and segment itself over and over and over and over again. And that's part of that whole um, desegmenting again. And that that's a, of a benefit to the humans as well as the horses. Mm-hmm. And and you guys have been a very significant part of that desegmenting. Okay. You're a dressage rider and you're a polo rider. These apply to both. And when people, like you said, at the top of their game publicly say, that's right. It is. And look, right here's the evidence. That that is huge because it's a top-down kind of a thing. When when things like that start to happen at the top, everybody else it trickles down and we get to reap the benefits. Down here yeah. the, us folks who have horses in our backyards, we get to reap the benefits of of that kind of thing. 
if, if you're a good student. And, and the nice thing about what I'm learning through Horsemanship Radio is there's a lot of good students. They really want to help their horses. They really want to learn. And that's why we can go from, uh, I think, 3,000 listeners in the first quarter to 13,000 listeners. Wow, and, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. And yeah, lots of downloads. And that means people are telling people, friends are telling friends, and and um, that's good for horses. That's good, good for horses. That's right. Well, yeah, yeah. It's been a great year, 2016. Thank you, 2016. On to 2017. Yes, really and on fun. to our guest. And on to our guest. We have some great ones today. Um, I think people are going to just fall in love with Ransom and Sue Kane. Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts Willing Partners graduate, He's a Sugar Bear. <laughs> You know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you, your temperament, and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the Risk Capacity Survey at ifa.com. That's IFA as an index fund advisors. Or you can call us toll-free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. Ransom Rombauer is an accomplished A-Circuit competitor, a senior at Sonoma Academy. She travels 24 to 26 horse show competitions a year while maintaining a strong academic achievement in high school, too. She's the equestrian team captain for three years running now, as well as her school's equestrian team most inspirational athlete. That's amazing. And earned the Athletic Leadership Award, too. Ransom became one of 12 nationally selected riders to earn a coveted spot in the George H. Morris Horse Mastership Training Session in Wellington, Florida. Welcome, Ransom Rombauer. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Ransom, did I get all that right for you? Did you do yes. all that? That's amazing. And you are now, I shouldn't, I shouldn't uh, leave out the part that you're only 18, right? Correct. Yep. Well, there's a lot of people who don't have a a resume or a bio as long as yours just yet, and they might be a little bit more than double digit ahead of you, but we're proud of you. And I wanted to have you on because we got to meet at the uh, Charlotte Dujardin clinic that she gave in, uh, what was it, Thousand Oaks that she was um, here in California recently. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what did you think of that? Did you have some fun with that? Oh, yeah. I love it. I love watching the dressage. Um, my trainer's wife's actually a dressage trainer, and um, sometimes she'll give me dressage lessons. So it was actually really helpful in connecting the dots, and I loved it. Yeah, it was really good, wasn't it? It was two days, pretty intensive. And Charlotte's a hard mm-hmm. worker, I thought. What'd you think? Oh, yeah. Very. <laughs> <laughs> and she even got on at some of the horses. Uh, that was that was stunning, right? I, I mean, mm-hmm. even not these riders have been riding for a lot of years, but, and the horses were not beginners, but could you believe that transformation as soon as she got in the saddle as if somebody tipped the horses off that she was Charlotte, you know? Oh yeah. She, 
unreal. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's pretty amazing. Yeah. What do you think that is? Do you think now, cause you've been at this now for, you got into horses about six or seven years old and I'm not saying that you came in as a profe- professional at six or seven, but what is that? What is that, that she has with horses that maybe that's something you're even aiming for is that understanding that intuitiveness. What do you think? Um, I, she, it seems like she can really read their body language. Well, um, I think that's really important. And she has a ton of patience and is very clear. Um, and I think that's kind of the key, <laughs> um, is just understanding them and their body language and then, you know, yeah, demeanor yeah. and understanding them. So, I mean, that's hours and hours and hours and hours in the saddle, I'm sure is what you're saying too, but also, oh, yeah. yeah, but she's got a good, she's got a good read on horses. I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, she, mm-hmm. she seems very kind with her horses too, which, uh, pleased me oh, to yeah. see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. And the the black and white probably is the thing that most people would have noticed that she she really is um, hard on her riders even that way, right? No, no, no. You got to be really clear every time. I, I I loved watching. That was inspirational for me. So I imagine you who is on the uh, you're on the hunt for these things right now. That that must have been very exciting. So so start with yeah. with Ransom. Tell us about Ransom. You started riding horses at six or seven, like we mentioned. And did you start with jumping? Um no, I actually it all started um at a local horse rescue that I went to camp with with my neighbor. Hmm. And um it was just kind of like a thing my parents signed me up for. I didn't really know much about it. Um and then I got hooked. Um, and I rode there it was a horse rescue so you know they taught you how to care for the horses before you could even ride them so you know cleaning the stalls brushing them um, all that stuff Um, and I probably rode there till I was 10 Um, and then I moved to more of a schooling barn um, Valley Brook Equestrian Center and they did schooling shows and some B shows. Um, and that's where I, you know, that's kind of where I started to jump, um, and get more experience. And then mm-hmm. I moved to another more a circuit show barn. Um, I think I was 12 and that's when I really, um, started showing on the a circuit was when I was, I think 12 or 13. Um, I was kind of a late, bloomer in that sense um I was kind of late to the party yeah you're so Um, old at that no (laughs) no I know what you mean yeah so so other people were were younger than you even in that circuit hmm? oh yeah um so and then um now I ride with Daniele Ghani um over here in Napa and I've been riding with him for I think three years now that's a long time. Yeah. Um, so, so that's pretty much your, your career through high school. Right. Yep. Yeah. What, what was the talent search? I read somewhere where you were, you were awarded uh, a talent search. Uh, what, what was that about? Um, so the USEF show jumping talent search is an equitation class. It's like an equitation jumper style class. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, I think the highest equitation class in height, I think it's three, nine. 
it's like between three nine and meter twenty. Um, and it's twenty. It's a twenty one and under class. And um, I started doing it when I was like fourteen. Um, and it was my favorite class because it's kind of like it's similar to the McClay where there's two parts of the class. There's an over fences jumping phase, and then there's a flat phase. Um, and I loved having the flat phase because I could redeem myself. Um, I love doing flat classes, and um, you know, if I didn't have like let's say I have a rail in the over fences portion, I could redeem myself in the flat, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of gives you a second chance to have the judge look at you. Um, so, yeah. And then yeah. there's a final, um, I think it's, I'm not exactly sure how many points you have to qualify. Um, but there is a final on the East Coast and the West Coast. Um, and last year, I won it on Lalonde, also known as Frenchie. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the year before, um, at the final, there's three phases, um, over a course of, I think two or three days. Um, there's a flat phase, there's a gymnastics phase and an over fences phase, which is like a jumper style metal with jumper jumps. Um, and I did really well in the flat phase. This was two years ago. And, um, I did well in the jumping phase and going into the gymnastics phase, I was standing on top and, um, there was a mandatory track you had to take, um, throughout the course and you were required to do specific inside turns throughout the gymnastics phase. Um, it was in this little indoor arena and I go in last because they did it from reverse order and I forgot about one of the inside turns. So they considered that technically it would be off course. So I got, um, I didn't get a score in that round. So it kind of, <laughs> ah. um, I was a heartbreak. I was yeah. really upsetting. I was, Oh God, that was so hard. Um, but then last year I kind of came in, I knew I could do it. Um, I was like, I can, like, I'm capable of winning this. I really like, I wanted it so bad. I really oh. wanted to redeem myself. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever wanted something so bad. Oh, oh no. Um, and then all, all the stars aligned. Frenchie was amazing throughout all the phases. And um, we won it. So Who did? It you got it. Okay. You had me hanging on the edge of my it's chair there. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> so so I, I love that you're you're being very diverse right now that you're staying in your variety and you can do so many different things. Uh, you, you say that your trainer is working with you in dressage occasionally and also the jumping. And, and that just seems like, I mean, other than inventors, that's kind of a big different world. What do you, mm-hmm. what do you learn from dressage that you, d- you don't, you know, that you don't see in the hunter jumper? And what would you say to a hunter jumper who might think, well, what, what's dressage going to do for me? Um, it's all the details. <laughs> ah. Um, I mean, Susan, Danielle's wife, who's the dressage trainer is super. Um, I usually, I usually do the dressage lessons on my equitation horses. Um, okay. I found it extremely helpful for last year's set finals, um, because the flat face was an actual dressage test. Um, so you had to memorize a pattern uh-huh. and, 
everyone was freaking out because they're like, oh my gosh, you know, this is, it was so new. It's nothing we've seen before really in the hunter jumper world. Um, but I was super comfortable with it and, um, it really, really helped, um, for my success last year. Ah. And, um, I think it's really good for the equitation classes too. And to focus on just all the details, like how to do a proper haunches in and yeah. just doing everything really properly. Um, cause that's, that's what they're doing. Right. Um, and yeah. Can, can I interject and just say you're my new hero? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jen, for saying it out loud. Yeah, that's yeah, that's really good. I mean, I think she got that from Charlotte. Oh no, <laughs> no, the preciseness of it. I I love that you're willing to put that in. You know, and uh, yeah. it all adds up. I mean, I can tell, like in jump off. You know, like I can tell when I put my inside leg on and open my outside rein a little, they'll step out, and it's really amazing. It really, it all. Even though you know, I'm not a dressage rider. I can benefit so much from it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Debbie, you know what? We, we know what this opportunity is for us. This is an opportunity for us to say in 10 years, when she gets on her first Olympic team, we can say, we knew her before she was world famous. <laughs> the first interview. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> it's true. If you keep that up, I, I, I have no doubt about that, uh, Jen. I think, I think you're yeah. exactly right that yeah. she is, you know, and I haven't even seen her ride other than yeah. on, on well, the internet. Ransom's yeah. <laughs> level of insight into how good mm-hmm. riding really works is mm-hmm. just so refreshing. Just, mm-hmm. we're going to make her blush a little bit more, so. I just a little bit, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's why I was trying to get her mom on here because so she could brag on her. But <laughs> oh, <laughs> we'll God. get Laura. We'll get Laura on here another time. No, we're really proud of you, Ransom. That's what we're saying is that you just don't always hear that in any age of of development that people are willing to to listen to their horse to 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 learn from the other disciplines or the other trainers, even types of trainers. Mm-hmm. And and as one of, one of the things my dad says is, uh, uh, Monty Roberts says that uh, a horse is a horse and that if you understand a horse um, down to the ground as much as you possibly can and, and put it in your muscle memory, you can do things that you'd never expect to do. And that horse will do things for you that you would never expect him to right. do. So good. Okay. So that's my soapbox there, but, <laughs> but back to you. We're so proud of you. Um, the, uh, the thing that I, you know, warmed my heart when we first met, we had barely met, we sat at a table next to, you know, next to each other at the same table for a day and a half or something, I think it was. But, uh, mm-hmm. it, I first learned that the reason you were there too, was to support the brook. And I learned that oh, you, yes. you had your first rescue horse at age 13. Tell us about that. A miniature, I think you said. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, as I said earlier, I grew up riding at a horse rescue. Um, and once I moved, um, to a different barn, I, got this idea that, um, I wanted to get a miniature horse. And so I didn't really know where to look. Uh, so I was trolling Craigslist for miniature uh, horses, yeah. which is super random. Um, <laughs> and I found my first miniature rescue. Um, I mean, yeah, miniature horse rescue, yeah. um, off of Craigslist. Um, she kind of came out of a hoarding situation over near Fresno and, um, her name is Mew Mew. Um, I got her as a two year old and she was feral. Um, 
Feral? Is this a feral mini? (laughs) This is a feral two-year-old mini. Um, I guess the owners bought this show mini and didn't know it was pregnant. And then Mew Mew has some major confirmation flaws um, that were not desirable. So they just kind of tossed her her out in the pasture. um, Because she had no purpose for them. Um, And she has toad in or she has pigeon toad hooves and then um a pretty significant underbite which is definitely not desirable for them um in their show world for miniature horses um but yeah i've had her since she was two um and it was really it was like i got so much satisfaction out of like starting from like nothing and now she's she actually (laughs) She holds the Guinness World Record for mini to like highest mini to ever jump. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Even um, pigeon toe. That must be adorable. <laughs> she's like, oh, she's like my child. She's, I love her so much. And, um, you know, I really, I was young at the time when I got her. I was like 13 or 14. And um, I loved the process. I loved, you know, she came really wormy, underweight. You know, her feet were all messed up. Um and I just loved that whole process of like rehabilitating her and training her. And it was very manageable for me at the time. Um, I mean, she's a miniature horse, so I, you know, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was manageable. It's not like you're training a horse, you know, it's a miniature horse. It's like a pony. Um, yeah, except feral. And it was <laughs> like the best feeling. Like uh-huh. I completely just that moment, like on Craigslist, I stumbled upon her and then, me and my trainer, my older, my old trainer, Devin, um, got the trailer. We went and got her like, it was kind of spontaneous and yeah, I don't know. I just, I completely changed her life and, um, it's very empowering. That is so cool. I mean, we, a collective awe I can hear, you know, listeners. <laughs> it's going to be when I, I thought you were going to say you just picked up this mini, put it in your backseat of your car and went ahead. But when I heard the feral part, I knew that wasn't going to happen. So, oh, you yeah. So what was the first thing you did when you got her Mew Mew home after you've named her? What did you do to begin um, to start her? Uh, let's see. We got her healthy first. She was super yeah. wormy. I have a video um, yeah. somewhere on my computer when I first got her. And she was like, she looked like a drowned rat. She was oh. like furry and gross and underweight. And um, so we basically got her 100% healthy or like 90% before I actually started working with her. Cause I wanted her to feel comfortable. We wormed her. She got her feet done. Um, and and this is done. not making her more happy with you when you're doing all these things either. Right. I so know. You're, you're going further in debt. <laughs> um, and then I just, um, she was halter broke kind of like she knew the halter, but she didn't really know how to lead. I just worked with her. I spent so much time with her. I would just, you know, go to the barn after school and just like hang out with her, just like sitting in the stall with her too. Just like I spent so much time with her um, and just got her kind of desensitized. And we got, then I like, once she was used to me and like used to other people, um, I started lunging her and like, you know, she's great. I love her. I mean, she's, Oh God, I love her so much. We're just going to have to get a photo for, of Mew Mew to put up on the show notes for this too. So I haven't found those yet. Oh yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, will you? Okay, that'll be great. Yeah, so did that get fun. you, did that start opening your heart for the Brook? Because uh, we'll let people know if they don't know about the Brook USA is the USA version of Dorothy Brook started an animal welfare charity by 80 years ago, I think now. And um, so how, how, how did you find out about the Brook? Um, well, actually, it's kind of funny. Um, I've always, ever since Mew Mew, I've been like, kind of addicted to rescuing um it's like an addiction kind of and um I mean it's a good addiction I guess yeah it's not like the hoarding (laughs) situation but it's kind of backwards that's good yeah (laughs) and um I got really involved and it's it's like my true life calling and um I think I was I think I at that time I had like 11 rescue horses whoa yeah (laughs) And I just wanted to get more involved, and um, I was at the McClay Finals, when was this, last year, I think? And I was in the horse show office, I think I was picking up my number, and I just saw this brochure, my mom and I, um, and, you know, there was, it had some basic information, and it was very different from what I, like, what I knew about horse rescue. Um, uh-huh. yeah. It was just instead of, you know, taking the horses and taking, taking the problem, they're actually educating the people and how to take care of them. So it's more like a long-term yeah. um, process, but um, we took the brochure and um, it was on my desk for like a year. I remember just seeing it. I had it pinned up on my little bulletin board. Aww. And then one day my mom, we were cleaning my downstairs area and um, we just kind of looked it up and poked around. And I was like, this is really cool. Like (laughs) this, I've never heard of anything like this. And, um, I know they have a, they've been in the UK for a while, but they're starting to branch out for the fundraising in the U S and, um, it was still pretty new in the U S, um, at the time. And, um, yeah, so I, you know, we emailed them and I'm like, I want to like donate. I want to, you know, everything counts. And, um, so I actually, all my prize money goes to the brook. And, um, is that the really coolest? I know. So you're yeah. donating your prize money that you earn hard earned in the show ring, but you're doing well. That's the good, that's the good news. And, and you're, mm-hmm. and you've done this for what, six months now or something? Yeah. Um, well, yeah? this year actually, um, I think that's close to like $10,000 that, <sighs> Like the prize money. Ransom, you've given $10,000 to working equids. So they say the Brook USA calls them working equids because it could be donkeys or mules or horses, but they're the ones that, like yeah. in India, carry the brick loads. And so you, they, mm-hmm. Brook, Brook sends people in, veterinarians and everything, to train on these people to take care of the equids. And you've made them $10,000 closer to putting all those equids <laughs> in a healthier place. That is just so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, I really wanted to get more involved with horse rescue and equine welfare. I mean, that I love that. I'm so passionate about it. And, you know, this was kind of the next step um, for that. And for my, you know, I, I just wanted to take it one step further. And Brooke has definitely satisfied that. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure they're happy yeah. too. Well, that's who we sat with at the Charlotte Dujardin uh, clinic. At, they nicely had at one table for us all too. So we're, um, we're happy and believers in what they do too, but not too many people put their show ring winnings on the line. I tell you, that's a great <laughs> commitment too. Most people will be out there buying yeah. a new, uh, you know, new bunch of stuff for their horse or something, I think, but, or new clothes <laughs> for that next show, but good for you. Really cool. And is this something you want to continue to do? Is this inspiring? Oh, yes. Um, mm-hmm. definitely. I would, I'm lifelong committed with them. Ah. I really want to stay with them and keep supporting them and come up with new ideas with, um, junior ambassadorship, you know, I really want to help them raise donations and Mm -hmm. yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So they talked about at the table when we were there, they were talking about you being the first person that might be in the, uh, what do they call it? A junior fund raiser. So there's global ambassadors, ambassadors, and then you would be a a junior, a junior ambassador. Let's name it. We'll we'll make it up for him. No, I don't know. I don't know how it'll all come out, but I'm proud of you. Proud of you for being in that position. So you head to SMU, Southern Methodist University in the fall. On an athletic scholarship. Good for you. And uh, you're going to be, what What are you competing in there? At SMU? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so I'm going to be on their equestrian team. Um, and then I'm looking to continue showing my jumpers outside of the team as well. Um, continuing my A-circuit show jumping. Um, in Texas, because SMU is located in Dallas. Um, right. So, yeah. All right. And studying, um, what are you going to study there? Um, I'm thinking of minoring in photography and then majoring in advertising. Um, I'm interested in both, and they kind of go hand in hand. Um, so that's what I'm planning on. Good girl. Good girl. Well, it's yeah. always, you got to have a goal out there. I know you, as a freshman, you can, you can tell your mom that you can redo everything if you have to, but <laughs> you can change your mind anytime. Yeah. You've got a few years to figure sure. that out, but we're going to watch your career and I hope we can have you on again and you can tell us how it's going and, uh, you know, keep the clock running on the donations to the Brook USA and, and tell us yeah. about racking up some more trophies and ribbons and, uh, and, uh, Frenchie and, Keep us abreast, okay? <laughs> yeah, I plan All to right. stay in the industry, so I'm sure That's I'll keep in communication. <laughs> wonderful. Well, thank you for being a part of our show today, being part of Horsemanship Radio, and being your first interview ever. I'm so proud. I know. I'm so excited. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to put this one in the archives, and we're going to play it when you make your first international team. No, no there doubt. Go. <laughs> Nicely done. Okay. Nicely done. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks a lot. Grant- Um, We're really excited because Sean's Omega Fields company has done something amazing for one of our test horses. His name is Cadillac. And we felt so strongly about it that um, we definitely wanted to bring him on as a sponsor of Horsemanship Radio. And we wanted you to know that it came in that um, order first is that we were so impressed with this product and with this horse's results that we wanted to have him a part of our um, our monthly shows. What is it about the Omega Fields product? Something's different. Omega Fields uh, was built around a really um, 
unique and proprietary technology. Flaxseed has been known for a long time to contain rich source of omega-3 fatty acids along with omega-6 and omega-9 fatty acids in, in a near-perfect balance. But historically, there was a problem using it. It's high in fat, and when it was uh, milled into a feed product or a food product, it, it would go rancid very quickly. So our company had developed a proprietary technology for stabilizing this high-fat flaxseed to make it usable, uh, give it a long shelf life in a natural uh, environment. We don't use any chemicals or additives to mm -hmm. extend the shelf life or anything like that. It's a completely natural process. That's what makes our flax really different. Um, it makes it usable. It makes it nutritious over a long period of time. We guarantee an 18-month shelf life, so consumers can use it with confidence without it going rancid that, you know, would potentially harm the horse. So quality of manufacture, every single thing in that uh, product, Omega Horse Shine, is food grade. It's made at a food grade facility with great care of product quality. Uh, the stabilization technology makes that omega-3 uh, nutrition nutritional value locked in and usable for a long period of time. So proof is in the pudding, so to speak, that it, it really works. You'll see dramatic results in a fairly short period of time. Dr. Sue Kane is an author and a mother, as well as a lifelong equestrian. She's a business consultant and coach, too, at the at the Corporate Learning Institute in Chicago, Illinois, where we're going to hear from her today. And she's recently been made a barn manager as well, as if she wasn't busy enough. But we're here to tell you that her book won the category of Equine Educational Training for Humans, that's not horses, at the Equus Film Festival uh, for the book called Horse Sense for Leaders, Building Trust-Based Relationships. Welcome, Dr. Sue Kane. Well, thank you very much. And I hope you mentioned that you are, in fact, the co-author of that very book. Well, you pushed me hard enough to to get my name earned on the front of it, but that's about it. You were you are our inspiration, and uh, you were you're a winner. I mean, award winner now. This is so fun. It's available wonder, on Amazon. That's right. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an award. I'm going to start to act like that too. Yeah. So, okay. All yeah. right. <laughs> Between us, though, we don't have to do that. It's, it's she's a lot of fun. So what I want to share with everybody is that uh, you were so brave to not only write this book and get it done and spend many hours up at the lake, uh, taking your weekends to do it and building a really great book. Then we went to uh, Equine Affair in Massachusetts recently, and that was fun to expose the book to that. We got to do some uh, presentations that you led. You want to tell people about that? Oh, yeah. You know, I love going to a coin affair, and the coordinator, Kogi Long, does such a beautiful job every year. There are two coin affairs offered each year. Uh, one is in um, Ohio, near Columbus, I believe, and the other one is in Massachusetts in a little town called East Springfield. Is it West Springfield? Excuse me. West Springfield. I correct myself. And they are so well attended. They're packed with people that are coming for a couple of reasons. They're coming to buy things. They're coming to enjoy what we would think of as uh, horse events and shows. And they're coming to be with friends and kind of soak it all in. And so I go every, every session that she offers to talk about the book and to talk about um, whatever she'd like me to focus on. And sometimes it's the book and sometimes it's other things. 
But yeah, very well attended. The next one will be uh, in 2017, April, I believe. Mm-hmm. That's and, Ohio. Uh, I can give you some details in a minute in Ohio. Yeah. Yeah, good. Because they should come see you. You are not only a lot of fun and entertaining to watch, but I think everybody takes away a lot from from those presentations too. They seem to get into it. You're not the typical equestrian lecturer. Let's put it that way. You've been doing this a yeah. long time. For sure. And you tell good jokes. Yeah. And and I and I love your your angle behind it, it that is so good is that for 30 years you've been studying people and especially horse owners and barn managers. And and you know something about us that we don't always know about ourselves uh, because you've done so many um you've done so much corporate training and you've done so many analysis of of personalities and how we work together. This is the angle that I love about you, Sue. If you weren't my close friend, I'd always be worried about what you're thinking. I'm thinking when I'm talking uh, to you. (laughs) Life is a big, yes, projection. No, no, no. I mean, I don't know what's going on in people's minds, but I do. I'm a keen observer of behavior and um, of humans, of human behavior, and I'm struck, always struck by how interesting it is, how we relate to our horses, and why we find it so um, enjoyable or not to be with our horses, and what that's about, and how people can make it better. By the way, I just did a little research. The Equine Affair for Ohio is coming up that session, April 6th through the 9th, 2017, at the Ohio Expo, Expo Center, and it is actually um, people can go to equineaffair.com and find that out. But, you know, seriously, that is a fun, fun event. Yeah, 6 through 9, April 6 through 9. Is that what you said? So it's early in April. 6 through 9, 2017. Yeah. 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 It's fun. It It is fun. I mean, the the um, November one that we went to in Massachusetts is more of the gifts and Christmassy. And that was fun, too. That's a, a needed element in our lives, our, our shopping therapy. But the Ohio one, I find they get great clinicians in there. I mean, you're a speaker there too, but, uh, also all the horse training and it's just, I mean, Ohio is a big horse area anyway. Right. And, um, I I just have always found when I've gone, not that I go every year, but it's, uh, it's a great event to to go to. So we'll come see you there for sure. And I, and I think one of the things that you do well in the presentation, I mean, let's get into horses for leaders a little bit, the trust-based relationships, how do you, in a nutshell, how do you take horse, horse sense, and what you've learned through the horses to the leadership in your business and in, in, in your barn? Yeah, well, let me tell you, it's, it's a hard sell for people that don't know horses, and it's an easy sell for people that do. Mm-hmm. So if you're lucky enough to have a few people in your audience, your corporate audience, in my case, that have any affinity or <clears throat> any experience with horses, you're home free. And if you don't, what people think about horses, who don't know horses is that they're predatorial and what Mm. they assume because of the size of horses is the horses are are, are really out to get them and they have to outfox, outsmart, break the horse, tame the horse. And what they don't realize of course, is that the the counter, the opposite is true, if you will. And so I'm always struck by that mindset and I'm curious about that mindset because so many leaders come into their relationship with followers I don't want to say as predators, but certainly in an authoritarian way. And they feel they have sometimes have to overcome the other individual instead of collaborate. And we've, in the world right now, we have a lot of role models that say, look, you know, effective leadership 
is about overcoming and uh, bullying. And we have other mm-hmm. leaders that are more about, hey, authentic, effective leadership is about high collaboration and trust. Yeah. So you, you kind of have to, you have to decide for yourself. Where, where do you fall? You know, what do you think? And the thing that strikes me about Monty Roberts and his work, his seminal core work, is he's already decided. He mm-hmm. errs on the side of building trust and collaboration. Um, and so I like to use that analogy with leaders. Make a decision. And now that you've made a decision, what are you going to do with that choice? Going forward, how are you going to lead people that are following you? What kind of behaviors and skills do you want to call in these people that will make a difference to that net end? Um, Mm -hmm. And and so we're going through, I'm a student of leadership, you know, and so Mm -hmm. we're going through a period right now of questioning that. Is collaboration and trust really an important part of being an effective leader or not? And it, the coin is in the air for a lot of us. It's very interesting to watch on the political realm, in the political realm right now, for example. And so I'm, I'm struck by that. Yeah. Um, but I love the analogy of of building trust instead of using force. And I think right. it's incredibly powerful to use that analogy with corporate groups. So why do you think the choice? is made sometimes that leadership should be about bullying or force uh, versus collaboration. Do people think it takes too much time to build collaboration or trust or uh, is it just tradition? Well, I have a couple different answers for that one. And we have to go to the researchers to find out with each human being, how people are built internally, what they really believe to be true and why. And part of that is nature versus nurture. We come into the world, you know, equipped with certain propensities, and then the world shapes us, if you will. So early on, there were there was a team of researchers. Their their names are White and White, and they did some research on infants, and they found that infants they were slow to warm, kind of medium to warm, and easy to warm infants. And now we're talking about temperament, and so we're entering the world basically with a temperament, mm-hmm. and then the world shapes whether or not that temperament gets played out, or it gets hidden, or it gets used. And then what happens is we form opinions and ideas and personalities. And I look at trust as a rubber band. It's a capacity, not an emotion. Mm. And some of us in our worlds, we don't have a lot of compassion or trust for obvious reasons. The world hasn't been kind to us. We haven't had any role models or need to be that way. We're spending more time protecting ourselves. We're spending more time um, being defensive. We're spending our time being offensive. Mm-hmm. And there are other people whose rubber bands of trust and compassion are very big and they don't have a need to protect or hide. You might even categorize these people. Some some psychologists might say they're optimists and pessimists in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in my in my understanding of leadership, and geez, I spent years studying it, um, really it's so complicated. It's that marriage between who you are, what you really believe to be true in the organization that you're leading with it. And is there a fit? Are you able to practice what you really believe in or not? Um, and so that is a roundabout answer for you. I know it is, isn't it? Oh, no, it's good stuff. So can you take this to somebody who may not be in the corporate world, um, somebody who yeah. just says, you know, I really prefer my horses over people sometimes. But what in yeah. the familial setting, in, in your family, can these same things apply? Or is this more like a corporate Oh, gosh, structure? yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, so you are who you are. And mm. Of course, in, in our generation, Debbie, you and I, we grew up thinking you have to wear a suit every day, and there was a do and don't list, and yeah. the millennials have brought in a wonderful change in the, in the Gen X uh, to, to the workplace, and they have insisted that, you know, since we spend so many hours at work, we're going to be who we are, and we're going to blend work and home. 
yeah. and we're going to have a more relaxed attitude about that. It's been wonderfully enriching for the work, the workplace. Mm-hmm. And they give they more they, becoming leaders. Yes, I, yeah. I, I do love that. Are there downsides to that, Sue? Because I think, I think, you know, there's a lot of people that are maybe in their 50s or 60s watching these young kids come in and say, wow, they're pretty amazing in certain skill sets, but maybe they're not so amazing in other skill sets. But maybe that's not a weakness. Maybe it's a strength. I oh, I think they're, they're still getting the accountability they need. I mean, I do. Uh, I think okay. you, can, you can cite, you know, millennial um, and or Gen X leaders and you can see that they're getting they're getting the same level of commitment and and outcomes, outputs, if you will, but I'm not sure they're doing it the, the same way. In other words, when I came into my first job, it was a structured authoritarian leadership type style. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that just doesn't appeal to me personally, to me personally. Other people might thrive in that kind of environment. I had a friend that went off to West Point. He loved it. He's like, mm-hmm. Sue, come and look at my sock drawer. I'm like, oh my God, that is the <laughs> cleanest sock drawer I've ever seen in my life. How could you have such a, well, they taught us that at West Point. I'm like, oh my yeah, God. yeah. That's a serious yeah. business here. But um, some people thrive <laughs> in that kind of authoritarian. I, I just don't happen to be one of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are too many but, of us, I don't Yeah, there are too many of you people. So get over in your corner. But uh, <laughs> I think um, I, I think the research will say that the world is changing. We are having uh, um, the dialogue now, and we're seeing that there is a plethora of, there's diversity. There's, there are people, we are, we are not a single race of people here in the United States as we once thought we might have been, that we are a melting pot, and that there is diversity in the notion of inclusion in the world now that needs to be focused upon. And how do we help people feel included? And as a leader, how do we stretch our rubber band so that we can not out or, or eliminate some really important players? How can we help these individuals do their very best work um, who, are, who are not like me? Mm-hmm. So the issue of diversity and the issue of inclusion are big, huge training issues right now in any organization mm-hmm. uh, because diversity is critical. And, you know, also on college campuses, I'm doing a lot of coaching in program design for college campuses where they're experiencing the um, kind of the, the reflex of how do we deal with our, our minority majority students? How do we balance diversity? How do we ensure respect for all? Mm-hmm. That's a conversation in the national forum right now. Is it important? Mm-hmm. I say it's important, but uh, that's how yeah. I lead. Respect is a great word. Uh, yeah, I don't hear enough about that around horses and horse people and and leaders in general. Uh, you know, we are there's broken barriers there on respect and politeness and all those things too. You learned all that from the horse, huh? That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, I think it is a profound case study. The joint concept mm-hmm. is a profound case study. It is a, a it's a dialogue mm-hmm. between human and horse. And as you know, Debbie, we have taken that dialogue apart and we've rebuilt it in our book as a human-to-human conversation, a join-up human-to-human conversation, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I think that that simple kind of representational idea of a horse choosing to join up, not being forced to join up, yes. is critical to the soup of human relationships. Yes. So I can't really force you to do anything. Not really. It's short term. Actually, the data says, yes, you can. Um, short term, you can get some really good results. Longer term, forcing types of relationships don't play out as well. 
It has collaborative, trust-based relationships. That's what the data says. I've got it. If anybody wants a copy of it, I'll be happy to find it and and send it out. That's very nice. That's very nice. Okay, we'll we'll put a link to you in there, too. Was it fun winning the Equus Film Festival Award for the book? Oh, gosh. (laughs) It was a wonderful occasion. So, Debbie, when we were in New York at the Equus Film Festival, there was such a variety of individuals, authors who wrote popular wasn't there? It was great. Just some, just some wonderful books and wonderful authors. Um, and, and people can go to the website uh, and see the Equus, is it Equus Film Festival? Equusfilmfestival.net, I think. Dot that's net. It. Equus Film Festival.net, yeah, that's, that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really yeah, they should go there through. and see, because gosh, there was short films, long films, international documentaries, uh, U.S. based books. Uh, Wonderful artists, yep. the books, the um, commercials, you know, all art. I mean, this is this is the first, I mean, it's the fourth annual, but it's the first event of its kind really dedicated completely to equestrian theme film and art and authors. They had a, a poster that, you know, they, that won for its designs. And, um, but you, you were on the panel. Yeah. I mean, th- can you, they must have loved having you on the panel. You're so well-spoken. You're not just like the rest of us who, you know, think, Ooh, it'd be yeah, cool sure. to be able to write a book about horses. That's what we love. <laughs> You've got weight behind you, you got science behind you. So, um, no, smart it was a good judges. panel discussion. Yeah. yeah. They yeah, wanted to know, the, like? the, the key question for our book was, why, what is this about? And I'm like, well, it doesn't really have much to do with horses. Um, it has more to do with horses as a case study. And then you deciding as a leader, how would you help others join up with you? And that was, you know, my compelling argument for, you know, they wondered, then why are you on this? Are they laughing at me? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I, it's, it's just that I find it to be such an interesting case study. You know, a horse, a human, join up, a choice to make. Oh, a choice was made. Trust built. What does that have to do with effective leadership? And so they they thought that was funny. But, um, yeah, I was the only one without boots on, you know. Or a, you you know, are a gear. horse person, though. So we all know, we all know that. And and the, the founder of this thing, Lisa Dearson, knows knows you. And uh, is yes. uh, she's in, is she in Illinois, too? Does she live there? She is. She's in uh, St. Charles, Illinois. She has a Lisa Colonel farm. That's wonderful right. Lusitano firm. And she is creative and extremely dedicated to the cause. So yeah. you can expect this event to grow. Good. And yeah, if it's authors or filmmakers exciting. are out there listening, you know, honestly, get involved. Yep. Submit your stuff. This is what Sue said to me. She got me on the phone with Lisa and said, you know, you must. And so we said, oh, why not? I, you know, it's just one of those word of mouth things that I think will catch on. And we got in lucky and early, didn't we? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And I went, I wanted to talk a little bit too about, um, your writing styles, because after the book was finished, Horses for Leaders, you started out on, gosh, I think it was like four years ago now, creating writing styles, which is a byline, create a breakthrough relationship with your horse. And that has developed into, uh, we, we were presenting two new styles. I mean, you've got the one for the teachers. So when we were at Massachusetts, I got to listen to all your creative conversation about this, developing style assessments designed to, that, to help equestrians create those relationships with humans that help, but tell, tell a little bit about how you broke an audience up into those sections. Cause I think it's telling the kind of questions that you ask. We understand it in barn terms. Can you kind of recreate that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So what I did is I wrote an assessment. It's an assessment that's at writingstyles.com and you can download it. But my 
fantastic friend, Martin Gross, is in the process of making it online, dedicated online tool. You take the tool online and then you can download your results. But right now you can download a copy of it on um, writingstyles.com. What I was intrigued by is how we all approach our horses and how that differs from person to person. Mm-hmm. And I was struck by a man that comes to my barn and he's so whistle clean. He's, he should be wearing painter's whites. He is clean when he walks in and guess what? He is clean when he walks out. What? He is organized, very organized, man. hilarious. There's that individual. Then there's me and there's stuff hanging all over my door. I'm in and I'm out and I'm all over the place and I'm yakking with people. Then there are other people who come in, put a saddle on their horse, take the saddle off, turn the horse out and they're gone. Very quick individuals. And there are other people that are quite interested in planning. So I have a lady that journals at the barn. She'll sit there and say, here's what I'm intending to do today. And then she does it and then she journals it. Very detailed human being. And I was struck by these differences, this diversity. And so I took the DISC assessment. Now, some of your listeners may be familiar at a corporate level or organizational level with the Myers-Briggs or the DISC. Mm-hmm. It is the, the DISC or Myers-Briggs for horseback riders. And it is, I made one for horseback riders, actually, and I made one for instructors as well. Instructors, yeah. And really good uh, idea. It, it's so short. It takes, what, eight minutes to take the assessment and then to score it, another two, let's say. And then you will, you will find you have certain characteristics. You will have a profile, and your profile will tell you a little bit about your tendencies that you mostly probably already know. But what I think is interesting or profound is that, yeah, sure, you know that about yourself. But when you are in your blind spot and when you're in trouble, for example, you're afraid or you did something that you wish you hadn't done with your horse, how can you learn from that? And what is that about? And so in my case, it was backing up a horse that was afraid and putting even more fear into that horse when I was afraid over a situation that didn't need that level of concern. Mm-hmm. I needed to calm down and get my horse, my pulse rate down, horse's pulse rate down, and we needed to walk it out and talk about it. Instead, I did a predatorial move and backed this poor horse up because under pressure, that's me. You were now, protecting your so, daughter. I should say that out loud because you're, you're not a very aggressive so just, person. <laughs> no. So, but for your listeners, the horse threw my daughter, but the horse was frightened by whistles and clapping that was, were going on. So the horse was very unaccustomed to that, seriously. And so she, he took off with my daughter. He's a lovey. He's a great horse. But that's why I wrote the assessment. It's to help people understand how they can better themselves. And uh, yeah, it's a nice little, it's a nice little tool. So it's understanding yourself. Yeah. Book coming. Good. She's, you're understanding yourself around horses, but you're also understanding yourself around the other equestrians in a barn, which I think it makes for interesting study too. I mean, I think that's the interesting thing about assessing our own personalities. What's the point of that? Unless we use it to go, Oh, that person's different than me. So how do I get the best out of the situation for them and me when we're interacting? In other words, if I'm not, uh, if I'm a messy and I'm having to live next door to the guy with the painter's white on, and he's always perfect, mm-hmm. you know, how, how mm-hmm. does that work? And how does that work with how, how compassionate am I about how, um, he grooms his horse so much better than me, or you know, all those things that might go through my mind. There's so she many has of a us. Clean who have, tail. 
Yeah, very clean yes. tail. <laughs> very clean. I can't even yeah. braid a tail worth beans, but no, you know, no. I I know. And how do you? I mean, most of us live with other horses around, or we go to shows and and deal with other horse people who, you know, maybe don't want to hear us help them load their horse on the trailer. You know, they just don't want to hear it. Or or you know, how do you work with those other people? I think that's what it was interesting too mm-hmm. when you were going through your presentation. Mm-hmm. People were first they'd giggle a little, you know, a little awkward giggle. And then it was full out laughter about recognizing ourselves and recognizing other people. Um, I mean, we came out with names of people that we thought, oh, this is exactly like Fred, right? And, and that's fun. I think I wish every equestrian center would get together and kind of put one of these things on everybody do a writing styles assessment and, and, or every instructor. Yeah. 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 You know, what's interesting and what, what, what strikes me so interesting is that so many equestrian centers are emotionally there's an emotional culture that lives in that center mm-hmm. and um and even though sometimes you acknowledge it's not always perfect you know we all struggle within it in, in to a degree in our in our culture in our barn there's always that do you like me i hope you're going to be nice to me kind of mentality a lot of us come to the barn and we let our guards down you know i mean we're there because we want our endorphins to fly free enjoy our horse and you know and get away from it all a little bit that's sometimes the reason they have horse not always but right. it does create a culture, and then sometimes that culture can be um, a quite a painful experience. So, yeah, it, it really helps to understand why is Melinda always looking at me funny, and I don't seem to – she always comments on my seat, and I don't care about my seat. <laughs> what I care about is whether I brought carrots today or that I'm going to have a fun day today. Yeah. But it is – it does help. Of course it does to, to deconstruct how people – are the way they are. And it's not about you. It's just about them. It's about their style. That's That's why we wrote it. Yep. Perfect. Sue, thank you for that explanation. I think, you know, I think it would make a lot of sense to people knowing that that tool is out there. So Sue coaches, she designs training, she facilitates them, assesses the needs of her client and then plans a way forward. Thank you, Sue Kane, for joining us today on Horsemanship Radio. Thank you for having me. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than The magic in the language of the herd. Dear Monty, What do you think about children using whips? My daughter, who is eight, abandoned the ponies and rides big horses now. She is quite small for her age, and when she's sitting in the saddle, her feet hardly touch the horse's body. In the school where she rides, she is asked to carry and use a whip in order to make the horse react when she cannot use her legs and feet. I don't always agree with that method because the horse can have a negative reaction. What is worse is that she takes the whip as a toy sometime and even whips her Barbie horses when playing. As you say, the whip can do more harm than good. So what is the alternative? Monty's answer. Trust is the critical foundation for communicating in the language of the horse I call Equus. Without trust, the flight animal cannot become a willing partner. I recommend that you provide this young child with a soft giddy-up, which is made from cotton fibers braided into a thick rope. At one end is a tassel, and the other a loop that fits over the wrist. The rope can be swung in an arc across the horse in front of the rider, meeting the horse just behind the rider's legs. 
Due to the nature of the material and the type of braiding, the rope cannot cause pain. The rider should swing the giddy-up rope left and right across the midline of the horse in a rapid back-and-forth motion. With blinkers in place, the rider should be patient and continue this motion, increasing in intensity while waiting for the horse to take any free steps forward. The rider should be diligent and watch for a positive response. The instant forward motion is achieved, the rider should cease to swing the giddy-up rope and stroke the neck of the horse in congratulation. The rider might use clucking or chirping sounds during the use of the giddy-up rope to add to its effectiveness. By sending both visual and auditory cues, you are likely to achieve the desired result. It is an extremely important for any horseman to be reasonable in his demands where workload is concerned. You must never demand from a horse to the extent that you discourage his generosity. There is virtually no way to clearly outline here what is reasonable or unreasonable. It is, however, important that the horse owners seek advice of professionals about the extent of the workload. There are horses who can handle a heavy workload, and then there are those who are a great deal more fragile. We must be diligent to watch for the signs of discontent when making demands on the energy reserves of our horses. Almost every balker that I am asked to work with turns out to be a horse that resists backing up. For some reason, many horsemen seem to think that schooling a horse to back up will cause him to be a balker. Nothing could be further from the truth. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says, Get Free Horse Tips. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I know that I'm transforming the lives of horses globally. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. There's a new lesson on there each week, all the way from join up to advanced. Watch world's champions give their lessons. Join at MontyRoberts.com. Go to my Equus Online University. You can transform your horse, too. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in Brazil and England in March, and then Germany in April. In fact, we have the Germany dates now, uh, and tickets are on sale. March 31, he'll be in Munich. April 9th, he'll be in Redefin, Germany. In April 20, he will be in Dorsten. April 22, he'll be in Alsfeld. And then he jumps to, there will be some dates in between there, but then we want to reiterate that we will have a Gentling Wild Horses course at Flag is Up Farms July 10 through 21. And then his Monty special training, uh, which is now in its, I don't know how many years we've been doing that now, uh, I think 10 at least, July 31st through the 4th of August of 2017. Woohoo! And I would encourage everyone to check into both of those, even if you cannot participate as a student trainer, you can go and audit. Am I right? Yes, you are so right. Because it really, it really is a language. It's, it's like learning a second language. If you, everybody in school back in the day was always required to learn a second language. And many people today, English is their second language. So they're familiar with how that whole thing works. And it really is a second language and it's, it's worth learning. Equus being the language 
really is because I went, why do they call it that? That's just weird. It's hard to get people get their head around. Okay. I finally had a light bulb moment very recently in that it really is a language and it's like learning a language because they say when you first learn to a second language, because this is a second language for the hum- from the human's point of view, we already speak human. When you learn a second language, you become genuinely fluent in that language when you can think in it. Yes. You're not thinking in English and then translating inside your head and then speaking French, right? Right. Right. Well, I don't know, but yes. But that's <laughs> and that's that's cognitively how it works. Yes. Um and it really is because when you finally become proficient enough that it's effective in all aspects of your interactions with horses, not just when you're working in a round pen or doing left lead canter, when it permeates, you think in it. If you want to learn more or you can't remember all that stuff, I certainly can't. You can go to the website, website, and that is MontyRoberts.com. Or you can call a lovely, helpful human being right there at Flag is Up Farm. The phone number is 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, you can go to HorsemanshipRadio.com, where you will find links, photos, and more information about our guests. And as always, we love your feedback. Yes, in 2017, we want more feedback. <laughs> we do. Yes, That's follow true. Horsemanship Radio and Monty on Facebook. Just go to Monty Roberts, or you can tweet him. That's right. Tweet, Monty Roberts tweets, too. His handle is Monty, <laughs> underscore, Monty underscore Roberts. And get the app. You can have all of your episodes with you wherever you go. It, it works for iTunes or it works for iTunes. No, it doesn't work for iTunes. It works for <laughs> Apple phones and Android phones. Just go to your app store and download it today. It's quick, it's free, and it's easy. Or it, if you're old-fashioned, yeah. you can subscribe via iTunes. <laughs> you're so cute. Yeah, you know what? You told me that people are binging on our podcast, and I didn't even think about that. So you can go on iTunes or Android and get all the episodes all at one time. So if you just listened to this and you didn't know we had... 79 episodes. That's right. <laughs> then, uh, yeah, that's what that 79 men at the top of the hour, and you can go and start get busy and start on, I, on iTunes. It's a, it allows you to store a certain number. That's an iTunes okay. rule. There's usually like 30 episodes up there or something like That'll that. That'll do it. So, if you want them all, um, you can either download the app, and there's a certain number there. If you're wanting to do all 79 of them, you're going to want to do that on the horsemanshipradio.com website if you want to just to do all 79. My gosh, um, somebody has a lot of, of stalls to clean or something. You know, <laughs> if yeah, exactly. You've got a lot of stalls to clean, a lot of traveling to do in the new year. It's right, that's pass right. The time. I mean, that's how I do it, driving back and forth in the car. But, um, and I also want to thank our sponsors in 2016 and Futures 2017 too. They have been with us the whole time. Yay. It's IFA.com, Index Fund Advisors. We've got Omega Fields. Just just had another conference call with them. They are coming up with some really cool things in Yay. 2017. I can't even tell you yet or they'll kill me. And then Monty Roberts Equus Online University. And we're up to 435 lessons on there, there now. Amazing. Make, yep. two, and make sure- 2017 the year you learn a new language. That's right. We're the Rosetta Stone of Equus, the language of the horse. There you go. It's gestural, yeah. Be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. And until next time, have many happy horse hours. 